we all showed up in a, a post-Genesis 3 world. Everybody that, that shows up on planet Earth is um, completely marred by sin. We show up with a, a sin nature. We show up um, what we call total depravity, not meaning that you are as bad as you could be, but that all of you, your head to your toes, has a problem and you're in need of something. And because of that, we live in what I call a Genesis 4 world. Like Cain, sometimes we get our feelings hurt. Sometimes we become angry. Sometimes we become sad. Sometimes uh, we get disappointed. Life happens, and that causes a, an emotional reaction in us, like Cain. And it, it's that point in time that those of us who have the Spirit dwelling in us get to make a decision. Am I going to listen to that disappointment or anger, or fear or sadness or frustration and dwell on it and think about it? Or am I going to do something different? Am I going to end up like Cain where my patterns of thinking lead me to patterns of behavior or am I going to do what Cain didn't do? Am I going to, to stop it and say, no, wait a minute, that's, that's not the right way of thinking. This morning we are going to begin a, a couple of month series in the Psalms. The Psalms are the nation of Israel's hymn book. In a sense, it's It's how they worshipped. It's how they expressed praise to God. It's how they expressed their frustrations with life. It's how they expressed their disappointments. It's how they expressed their anger. It's how they expressed their fears, their hopes, their dreams. And if we read through it, sometimes we, we look at that and we go... It seems that that their reality is like my reality. They look at the world and go, that's not fair. And we go, yeah, that's my world too. It's like uh, Asaph writes in Psalm 73, he says, Behold, these are the wicked and are always at ease. They have increased in wealth. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure. You ever feel like that? That I'm just spinning my wheels. I'm, I'm trying to please God, and I don't feel like I don't feel like I'm getting anything back. And wash my hands in innocence, for I have been stricken all day long and chastened every morning. That's, that's not an uncommon cry in the Psalms. Things don't seem to be going right. God, what's going on? This morning we're going to start at the beginning in Psalm 1. For thousands of years, from the early church, people have said, this is more of, a, of an introduction to the Psalms than it is an actual psalm. It's more of kind of, we want to get our focus straight. We want to get a, a, a true glimpse of reality because if you look out in the world and you see that it's messed up, you see that the wicked prevail and the righteous suffer, you might think that's reality. 
What Psalm 1 shows us is that there is a truer reality, a deeper reality that, that in a sense guides us as we go through the rest of Psalms and indeed the rest of life. As we will see over the course of the next couple of months, people actually bought into that. They, they believed that. It seems that they looked at Psalm 1 and said, regardless of what my life looks like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stake my claim here. And so that's where we want to start this morning is, is a clear view of reality because sometimes life is like when you take a long trip, especially at night. You're going along and you don't really notice anything any different, but you get up the next morning and you get back in the car and you go, oh, my windshield is dirty. How'd that happen? It was just one bug after another, slowly over time. And you never realize that all of a sudden you really couldn't see very well. And Psalm 1 for us this morning is like stopping off at the gas station and getting that thing that sometimes doesn't work too well and cleaning it all off and getting the squeegee and wiping it clean. And you go, wow, I can see. So would you look with me this morning as we read Psalm 1 and talk about it? There is an outline in your bulletin to help you follow along. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And in whatever he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Would you pray with me, please? Father, as we look at your word this morning, I pray that you would teach us, that you would encourage us, that you would challenge us. Ultimately, God, we ask that you would change us for your glory. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. First of all, um, this is poetry. And because it's poetry, um, the author and, and the Holy Spirit do things sometimes that we need to be aware of. Uh, in this psalm, for instance, there's, there are bookends of two types of life. There is what I would call the rewarding life. And the perishing life. Where do I get those? Well, the very first verse and the very last verse says, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. That word blessed, we could translate that phrase just as easily. Um, how rewarding is the life of the one who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. The person who follows these commands, these requirements can look back at the end of life and go, what a rewarding life I have had. The contrast of that at the end, but the way of the wicked will perish. Sometimes we think the opposite of blessed is cursed or the opposite of blessed is miserable, but, but here the contrast is the opposite of the blessed one is the one who perishes. 
And then in the very middle of this psalm, he, he gives two really nice pictures of what that looks like. So we're going to start in the middle and work our way out. There's, there's a book in there. There's the blessed life, the perishing life. In the middle, he gives two pictures, and then he describes the blessed person above and the perishing person below. So first, I want to look at those two pictures. I want to get in our minds what we're striving for and what we're trying to avoid. We're from Texas. And about July and August, after it's been really hot and really dry, um, sometimes it begins to look like fall in our front yard. The trees, which are stressed at that point in time, will begin, the leaves will begin to wither and they'll begin to drop. And there have been numerous times in a hot, dry summer where you go out and think, I need to rake my yard. And it's still August. I mean, the leaves aren't, they're not changing colors. They're just withering, turning brown, and the tree is getting rid of as much, just trying to save energy. It sheds its leaves. But the picture we have here is of a tree that, firmly planted by streams of water, it yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. See, that tree in my front yard in Texas would shed leaves because it was stressed. And God says, what I, what I want you to picture in your mind is, is that tree in the harsh climate of Israel, hot and dry, and it's experiencing the stress of life. And yet, you know what? It doesn't wither. It still produces fruit. Something else that happens in Texas, once it gets above 100 degrees, uh, most tomato plants don't set fruit. It may bloom all summer long, but it's not going to set any more fruit. It's too hot. won't do it. So you plant them early, you see what sets, and then that's what's going to grow. That's what you're going to get. And the picture we have here is of a tree that continues to bear fruit, regardless of what happens in life. What stresses do we have in life? See, what, what I want for you and for me is I want to thrive regardless of what comes my way in the hot and the dry, the disappointments of life, the struggles that we face, whether that's wayward children, the disease, or a boss that doesn't appreciate what we do or, or doesn't care, or a relationship that is strained, when those things come our way, when we're faced with the temptation of disappointment or fear or anger or loss of hope, will we continue to thrive? That's the picture he's painting for us. That's what the psalmist says the blessed person looks like, the one who has a rewarding life. That's what he looks like. Then he contrasts that in verse 4. We might think that he would do like Jeremiah in, in Jeremiah 17. Jeremiah paints a very similar picture. There's this tree by streams of water that, that continues to produce fruit. And then he says there's also this shrub in a desert that's dried up. Uh, kind of like in West Texas, they have tumbleweeds, these plants that grow up and then there's no moisture and then the wind blows and they uproot and they blow somewhere and they'll actually re-root and if there's moisture, they'll grow. But he doesn't do that. He contrasts it with something else. He says, 
they're like the chaff, which the wind drives away. It's the picture of the farmer who's brought in his wheat and he's beaten it out and separated the, the outer hull from the grain and it's all lying on his threshing floor and he takes this big threshing broom and he throws the grain up in the air and the wind comes and takes all that lighter chaff and it just blows it away. We don't know where it goes. He doesn't go out looking for it. They don't have to go, like when you mow the yard, you rake up the grass sometimes because the lawnmower shoots out the dead stuff. The farmer doesn't have to go rake up the chaff. It just blows away. It's gone. There's no trace of it anymore. They perish, the wicked do. That's the image he wants us to get in our mind is the wicked are gone. They perish. And so with those two images, the question I have is, do you want to thrive in the midst of adversity? Or do you want to be blown away like chaff? We need to ask ourselves that question. Where do I want to end up? At the end of my life, when I look back, do I want to say, yeah, I remember that trial and that struggle and that frustration and that hardship, but... I stand here going, God had a rewarding life. Or maybe even yet, after we're in the grave, what do we want people to say about our life? You know, despite all that he or she went through, you know, he walked faithfully with God. Or do we want to be forgotten? It's the difference of, of leaving a legacy or leaving a mess, so to speak. And what's nice is the psalmist then in, in verse 1 and 2 tells us how to live that life that is rewarding. So look with me at verse 1. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. The blessed man, the, the man who lives a rewarding life, avoids the wicked. Starts off, do not walk in the counsel of the wicked. That word counsel has two meanings and I think both are applicable here. One is advice. Are you taking advice from those who don't follow God? Do you get your wisdom, your insight into life, marriage, raising kids, business? Do you get that from God's word or do you get it from somewhere else? The blessed man, the rewarded man, the, the man who is like that tree that thrives in adversity, he doesn't get his advice from the wicked. The other meaning of that word is along the lines of, of purpose. Um, and in that sense, we, we kind of buy into what's our, what is our ultimate, what drives our thoughts? What's our worldview? Um, what do I think my purpose is in life? The blessed man, the man who is like that tree, the man who lives a rewarding life, um, doesn't follow after the purposes or the ultimate worldview of the world. He takes his cue on what our purpose is, what our goal in life is from, from God's Word, from God's teaching. You see, it all starts up here. How we think. It all started for Cain up here. I'm disappointed. 
I'm frustrated. I'm angry because God accepted my brother's sacrifice but not mine. And that makes me mad because, well, that's just not fair. That's what Paul talked about in Romans. He said, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed in the renewing of your mind. He didn't, see, he didn't say be transformed in the pulling up your bootstraps and working harder. We're transformed as we change the way we think, as we, as we change what gets put into this and how we deal with those things that come into our mind. The psalmist encourages us to avoid a pattern of thinking that is not from God. But he goes on and he says, also the blessed man does not stand in the path of sinners. Now it's not just that I'm thinking those thoughts that the sinners think, I'm, I'm rubbing shoulders with them, I'm on the path. My thoughts have led me to actions. That critical spirit that those critical thoughts that run through my head, I'm now letting come out in critical words and harsh words. That disappointment in my mind, I'm letting come out in maybe apathy or just avoiding fellowship. That anger that, that wells up in me, I let come out in, in the words that I say and the actions that I do towards people, towards those that I love. A pattern of thinking will eventually lead to a pattern of behavior. And then third, it says, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. Now, not only are we thinking their thoughts, we're not just rubbing shoulders with them, we've sat down at table with them. We are sitting in their seat. We have joined them. Our pattern of thinking became a pattern of behavior, which has now become identification. We are like the wicked. And that is, like that windshield, a slippery, sometimes hard-to-figure-out slope. Sometimes hard to recognize that we are slowly going downhill. Our thinking drives our behavior, which ultimately, if left alone long enough, will put us in the same boat as the wicked, the sinner, the scoffer. That word scoffer is not used a whole lot in the Old Testament, mainly in Proverbs, but it's, it's the person who is proud. It's the person who is described as someone who refuses to listen. It's the person who causes trouble in the assembly. That's the scoffer. And that's who we don't want to identify with. But it's easy because it's a, a gradual, sometimes imperceptible slope we get on and we just didn't bother to battle our thinking and then all of a sudden we found that we've developed habits of behavior and then pretty soon we're so lost, so far into whatever that bad habit is, that sin, that we are there someone looked at our life, they would say, that's the wicked person. That's the sinner. That's the scoffer. I don't want that for me. I don't want that for you. And so it starts back at the beginning. We think about our thoughts. We control our thoughts. As God said to Cain, you've got to master this issue. And you've got to master it now before it becomes a pattern of behavior. 
And Cain chose not to. But as you are well aware, that is easier said than done. It's not just a matter of will. If that was the case, Paul wouldn't have written Romans 7. I, I don't do the things that I want to do, and I do the things I don't want to do. No matter how hard you try, that's not the issue. But thankfully, the psalmist gives us something else, something to embrace. We avoided those things we embrace in verse 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. That phrase, law of the Lord, can refer to specifically the first five books of the Old Testament. But usually in the Old Testament, in general, it refers to the teachings of God. Do we delight in the teachings of God? Now, what he's not talking about is an emotion. See, emotions are fickle. Emotions will lead you astray sometimes. You've heard someone say, maybe you've said it yourself, oh, I just don't feel like reading the Bible. You know, just lately things haven't been going well, but, but when I feel like it, I'll, I'll get back into it. Well, the problem is it has nothing to do with feelings. This word delight, it's a, it's a conscious choice. I'm going to, whether I feel like it or not. Eugene Peterson said, it's much easier to act yourself into a new way of feeling than to feel yourself into a new way of acting. If you wait for your feelings to change, it's not going to happen. That's not a guarantee that if I persevere that my feelings will change immediately or even after a month or even after two months or a year but God doesn't call us to act upon our feelings. He calls us to act upon what He knows is good for us, and what is good for us is delighting in His teaching. It is spending time in His Word, and if I've said it once, I'll, I've said it a thousand times, and you'll hear it again from me. If you are not spending time on a daily basis in God's Word, you need to be. First of all, I would just encourage you to read on a regular basis. And we, I think I said this last week. You need to know this well enough that you know what God is like in all situations. That means at some point in time, you need to tackle all of it, even the hard stuff, even the stuff that doesn't make sense. Do you have a plan to read through the Bible on a regular basis? And again, that doesn't have to be every year. It can be every two years. It can be every six months. But are you setting aside time to read through this book? If not, you need to be. Because the psalmist writes that the rewarding life is someone who delights in God's teaching. But what's amazing about that is ultimately when we delight in this book, it leads us to the one that it talks about from beginning to end. It leads us to the one that fulfilled it from beginning to end, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And as we delight in this, what happens through the, the wonder of His Holy Spirit in our lives is we delight in Christ as well. And there is no greater object than to delight in Christ. He is the one that we need to imitate. If I wanted to be, say, an Olympic swimmer, then I probably ought to do those things that Olympic swimmers do, right? 
All instruments have a coach. I need to get a coach. They spend hours upon hours upon hours training, not just swimming, but weights and diet. I should do that too, right? They travel all over the country and all over the world competing against other world-class athletes to, to measure how they're doing, to challenge them, to make them better, to see what the competition is like. I need to get someone to give me some money so I can travel. But if I want to be a world-class swimmer, I need to act like it. If you want to be the person who can look back at the end of his life and say, I have a rewarding life, then I ought to do the things that someone needs to do to have a rewarding life. It's not going to happen automatically. And the scripture says we guard our thinking and we delight in God's word. So if you want to do that, then here's where you start. He goes on in verse 2, And in his law he meditates day and night. Uh, that word meditate scares a lot of people. Because what we hear in our culture a lot is Eastern meditation. I'm going to empty my mind. I'm going to sit and be quiet and not think about anything. Uh, that's not at all what that word is talking about. Um, let me give you a, a definition of, of meditation. It comes from several people's thoughts that I've kind of rewritten um, a guy named uh, Edmund Clowney, who was president of Westminster Seminary for a long time, um, is the shell of this idea, but he was kind of wordy, and I couldn't wrap my mind around it, so I've reworded it. This is what I think Christian meditation should be. Because we love God, it starts with God. It starts with our relationship with Him. That has to be in place. We will choose to think deeply about His revelation to us, so that we can, through our actions and words, rightly bring Him glory. Because we love God, we will think deeply about His revelation. So that we can, through our actions and words, rightly bring Him glory. It starts with God. It ends with God. And in the middle, we engage our wills. And we say, okay, even though I don't feel like it, even though it's hard, even though I'm busy, because I love God, I am going to consciously choose to spend time in His Word because it is good for me and it will help me know Him better so that I can accurately praise Him and bring Him glory by the things I do and the things that I say. It's a conscious decision. Thankfully, we have the Holy Spirit that will empower us and enable us if that is what we choose to do. But it is a conscious decision. That's the rewarding life. Just like for Michael Phelps, he put several things as priorities in his life because he, his delight is gold medals. And because his delight is gold medals, he trains hard and he travels a lot and he sacrifices and spends time doing the things that he's supposed to do. You and I have a delight that is far more precious, far more valuable than gold medals. We serve a Savior who loves us and sacrificed his life for us. Are we willing to enter into that relationship in a way that will allow us to bring Him glory.
we've looked at the pictures of verses 3 and 4. Notice in verse 5, what he doesn't say is how to, how to become wicked. He tells us how to live a blessed life, how to live the life that's rewarding. He doesn't tell us how to live the wicked life. We don't need any help with that. But what he does give us, remember, this is the introduction to the Psalter. This, is, this helps us make sense of the life that we see that doesn't make sense. He reminds us of the end of the wicked. He reminds us what happens. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment. In other words, when they're standing before God, they don't have a leg to stand on. They will end up like that chaff. Gone. Nor will they stand in the assembly of the righteous. When that day comes and we are all together, when God has transformed us and we are in that final assembly, we'll look around and all we'll see is wheat. There are no tares. There's no chaff. The wicked will be gone. And it will be an, an opportunity um, for us to enjoy God without distraction forever. And that's good news for you and I. And then he makes one final comment. Because, again, we might be tempted to say, well, he just wants me to pull up my bootstraps. I've got to do this. I've got to do this. I can't do that. I can't do that. I've got to watch my mind. I've got to think. I've got to spend time in this. Verse 6 says, For the Lord knows the way of the righteous. God is ever present in this world. God sees you. We need to let that sink in for a moment. God sees you. The God of the universe, the one who created all that we see, He knows you. He sees you. In the same way that He saw Cain and pursued him, He sees us in the daily frustrations and disappointments and struggles of life. And He's given us a wonderful revelation of Himself, of what He's like and what we're like. And He pursues us and He says, watch your thoughts because they lead to trouble. Delight in Me because that's where you get out of trouble. We bathe our minds with the words of this book. We spend time in His presence allowing His truth. His truth, not the truth that we, that we think we're experiencing when life is, seems to be spiraling down the drain. And if we do that, we can come to the end of our life and we can look back. And despite that trial and that frustration and that hardship and that painful episode, we can say, life was good because God is good. And when they put us in the grave, people can look at our life and say, you know, despite 
He lived a rewarding life. He left a legacy. What's interesting is the, the writer of, of Psalm 73 knew that. Despite those words that I read a moment ago, where he looked at life and said, Am I wasting my time? After he says those words in verses 12 through 15, he says in verse 16, When I pondered to understand this, it was troublesome in my sight. Until I came into the sanctuary of God. Then I perceived their end. Oh, it's the squeegee on the windshield. Oh, right, I remember. They're, they're going to perish. That's really what I'm seeing that looks like success is chaff. Verse 25, we see his delight. Whom have I in heaven but you? And besides you, I desire nothing on earth. Refocus. What is my desire? Is it the stuff that they have that I'm jealous of or is it God? Is that my desire? My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. This man has a right perspective on life. For behold, those who are far from you will perish. You have destroyed all those who are unfaithful to you. But as for me... The nearness of God is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge. And this goes back to that meditation a minute ago. That I may tell of all your works. You see, ultimately, the rewarded life is the life that not only delights in God, the rewarded life is not only the life that, that refuses to go down that slippery slope, that, that guards their thoughts, the one that bears fruit. Even in the midst of hard times, even in the midst of trials and struggles and horrible relationships, the one that delights in God, Asaph says in Psalm 73, I, I get to tell other people about God's goodness. Fruit is being born. When you are thriving in the midst of adversity, people will notice. They will take note and go. That tree over there is losing leaves like crazy. Why are all yours intact? Why are you still bearing fruit? And you get an opportunity then to say, let me tell you about my God. Let me tell you about my Savior. It starts with God. And it ends as we walk faithfully with Him and bring Him honor and glory and praise. And that's why Psalm 1 is the introduction to the Psalter. Because in the midst of the frustrations that we will read about over the next couple of months, there's this firm foundation that's been laid. And if we build on that, then we will come to the end of our life and say, I've lived a rewarding life because of the faithfulness of my God. Would you pray with me, please?
Father, we delight in you because you are worth delighting in. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your faithfulness. But most of all, thank you for our ultimate delight, your son, our savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you for his sacrifice that we might have life and have it abundantly. God, encourage us, help us, pursue us, that we might set aside time for you. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.